Hi folks, welcome back. This is Julie Knudsen with the podcast Training the Pointing Labrador, episode number 150. That is a lot of talking. Today's episode is going to be listener questions uh, and a very brief uh, G update because I've gotten some interesting comments and questions on some of the, uh, the last topics that we've had. And uh, some I've gotten some good feedback too on the getting ready for the test thing. So I hope that's helpful to people. I hope they take it seriously. You know, it's always fun to listen to things and go, yeah, it sounds like pretty good. But I, I spend a lot of time and give a lot of detail for a reason. <laughs> so I hope that people that are real serious about this, at least, you know, just give it some, some good thought before you make your plans to go out and become the superstar. So the G update, G is now, uh, she's just, just barely over six months. And what she started to do, we haven't gone back out in the upland field yet because of her uh, change in heart about bringing things back. And so she was, you know, I had to film. She was just so good, just out and back, out and back. Well, after having all those shot birds, boy, that just kind of set off a new light bulb in her that, way, this is a lot of fun and I like little dead bodies. And, and it just sort of opened a door. Uh, that's very, very common with dogs where she's kind of, she's all about going out to it and a very lackadaisical uh, coming back. So I'm not going to let that become the pattern. Um, that's an important point that's going to be echoed through a bunch of these listener questions. Because she's shown that and if I give her, you know, if I go out and throw and do things every day, we'll just be, a lackadaisical return will kind of get built into her thinking. So other than close in where I, or just a happy before we start in on the force fetch stuff, uh, we don't, we're not out running marks right now and we're not out in the upland field, which is the part everybody loves most about that. But I'm going to, we're back working some very strict obedience and, and I mean like very strict obedience now. She's, she understands that when I say sit at the bottom, I need maximum effort to follow through. And when I'm doing that, I can see. Some of the lackadaisical, like, I'm sitting, I'm coming to you. you know, just, I see that. And so I am going to go after that attitude over here on the basic obedience stuff because I can see it. I don't know if a lot of people would see it. They go, oh, look, she's doing pretty well. But if she's wagging her tail and sitting right down and just happy about it all. And that's not the response this dog is capable of giving. Granted, she's young. So I do take that into account, but she's old enough now where she's just telling me, I'm getting there. So <clears throat> I'm going to use basic obedience, not marks and upland and stuff. No big cords, no nothing. We're going to go back on getting in her thinking and in her head to have her take everything a little bit more seriously and then go back out and put it to practice again. So that's the, the update on my girl. Okay, I have three questions that I want to get there, uh, get to, and I'm going to take well, a puppy-related one right now. So I got a kind of a lengthy thing on somebody that's does the walk. Everybody loves a walk. I think a lot of the reason everybody loves a walk, you don't have to do anything. <laughs> it's just out walking. It's very pleasant. Actually, there's a lot going on uh, if if you are doing it by yourself without another dog. And killing two or three birds at one stone. There's a lot to be gotten there. 
But basically the, the gist of it was, I don't get why puppies can't just be puppies. Because I'm always talking about all this stuff about looking at them, watching them. And, and so I'm going to explain why why there is more than just, I'll let them do whatever. With puppies, and I've said this, I know numerous times before, from about when you get them, eight weeks, nine weeks, somewhere in that eight to nine, 10, 11 weeks, they begin to become little individual dogs, not just the kind of a fuzzy little blob running around. And just like in human children, you know, in human children, right from the very beginning, but as soon as they can like sit up and look around and kind of negotiate their own body in that first year, they begin to learn about the world around them. And over those next, those, those toddler years, before they get into grade school, whatever they call it now, elementary school, before they get in there, they absorb everything. And they have a way of perceiving the world and perceiving their role in it. And so if they were raised in an abusive, horrible family, they are going into, into you know, being children with a very skewed, very, uh, you know, unfortunate perspective on the role of their role in the world and what the world is like. Or on the other end of that spectrum, absolutely spoiled rotten. Never had to do anything, never had to toe the line, never had to be respectful. Then they go into school. Okay, now they've got a very different view of their role in the world and what the world's job is and everything in between. And people can agree with that with, with human children. So that's why, it, my opinion now, you know, my kids got read to from day one. And they got, you know, they got a lot of, they got music and they got stimulation and they got exploration and just so many things to try and get those little hearts, minds, and bodies, you know, excited about the world, respectful about the world, aware of themselves, aware of others, et cetera, et cetera. Exact, I see no difference with puppies. Now, they're not humans, but the same thing. So you have this little blank slate and they're all very different just like kids. They are very different. So one of the purposes of the walk is to find out a little bit about your dog. Let them tell you their story. Are they timid? Are they bold? Are they real intelligent? Are they eh, a little less so? You know, are they sensitive? Are they kind of clueless? Are they interested in things or not interested in things? Are, do they have physicality where they like to go and move and do things? Or do they not have that or do not enjoy it? You learn about all that stuff when you're on the walk. And then, of course, in your daily life. So depending on what kind of little critter you've got, that's what defines your approach to them and what learning uh, activities you want to undertake with them. So let's take, this was brought up on the Facebook page at some time, the little fire-breathing dragons. So these are dogs where they have a lot of cylinders and the steering doesn't really go along with it. You know, they just go, go, go without, a, you know, just go, go, go. So when you have a dog like that where the mind isn't real connected to the body and what it's doing, and you see that with some consistency so you know it's there, so now we want to do things that help them connect the mind with the body. Maybe those are the little dogs that you put a little collar and leash on in the early part and teach them to just walk with you. Not perfectly, not, but just walk with you. In other words, you start to work with them on you know, thinking about themselves and what's going on around them. If you have a little dog, on the other hand, that's kind of timid and afraid, the last thing we're going to do is put a leash and collar on them and start making them do stuff. Because 
they would have no context for that. So a lot of people, and I, I get these in frequently, less love their little dogs and they're little and cute, right? So they're kind of harmless. So what do they get picked up all the time? They jump up on everything. They express themselves whenever they, oh no, you have to take me with you. And they pound, you know, hit the door, hit the gate and just express their desires all the time. If a door opens, it's for them. <laughs> everything is for them. If you touch a dog food bag, it's for them. And that's no different than a kid that's given everything it wanted, it's wanted and doesn't have to respect anything about anybody else. So I, I don't know why anyone would ever do that, either to a human child or certainly to a puppy. The world does not revolve around the dog. The dog fits into the world, depending on what your life is. And so, you know, there's times where they're not, you're not going to be there. There's going to be times they can't go. There's going to be times they have to sit in the yard or the kennel run or the whatever it is. So let's teach them that so that they understand when they are learning how the world is, that that's how the world is. And they don't complain because they don't know any differently. That is not not letting a puppy be a puppy. That's teaching a puppy, hey, little dog, sometimes you're going to have to hang out by yourself. And you can't sit there, rip, roar, tear everything up and yell and scream about it. Nor can you get all over the leather furniture, unless that's what you want. And no, you can't crawl all over me and, you know, tear my clothing. And you can't bite me. You cannot put your teeth on me. My personal rule, no dog teeth ever on me, ever, at eight weeks or eight years. And they learn that real early, just like they would from their mom. And then you don't have them with the biting and the kids getting all bloody and all that kind of stuff. So, and also the toy thing, and I'm sorry, this is really a pet peeve of mine, but I, toys, <laughs> you know, kids, okay, kids need toys for a lot of stuff. Dogs need more activity and interaction with you and a few things that they chew on or throw around. They don't need just constant things given them, to them so that maybe they have something else to play with so they can have eight things to choose from instead of just six. It's just, it's incredible to me. That's more about how you feel about yourself than it is about this dog because a dog with an active, meaningful life, sure they can enjoy a toy, something they like to chew on or throw around, but to have a bunch of them sort of dilutes the whole toy thing. Just like it does for a kid that gets everything they ever see they ever want. Nothing ever really means anything to them because there's just more where it all came from. So the reason that air quotes, puppies, you know, yeah, they got to be puppies. That, that's what they are. But so let's optimize this little window of time that we have to teach these guys, this is how the world is. And if somebody doesn't know how to do that, which appears to be the vast majority of everyone, probably no listeners of this fall into that category. But I mean, YouTube some puppy training something, unless of course it's get them to do everything to eat food. Um, but there's ways out there. There's classes. Go, go do stuff. I don't, the socialization, I, I, wow, no. Yes. Do they need to know there's other dogs around? Yes. Do they need to know that any other dog around is a toy for them and they can play with it? No, you can't tell me one place where that is an optimum situation. That's why I wouldn't take a dog to a dog park if there was nowhere else to take it. 
because other dogs have nothing to do with me and my dogs. Nothing. Nothing. They can look and go, yeah, look at all those dogs out there and not think, turn me loose so I can go smash into those dogs and breathe near the one that has, has parvo. Um, there's just no need for that. And to get dogs exercised by letting them wrestle and run is terrible <laughs> because then they learn mindless. They learn one, other dogs are toys and just do mindless stuff where you never have to connect the brain to the body at all. Just have a big time. I don't see one optimal thing for that. You give a dog a job with you and a lot of physical activity and some structure that they understand and a feeling that their life they can define their life and they know their role in it and they feel under control of what, what it is they do. That's a much happier dog than the one that just runs crazy all the time and is, is friendly. <laughs> it's friendly. No, don't worry. Well, other people's dogs aren't. So it might rip the eyeball right out of your dog. So anyway, no, I don't think puppies can just be turned loose and be feral. I do not. I think that's just like with kids. You can do nothing on your kid till you send them off to school. Or you can teach them the, the joy of learning and exploring and curiosity and all that kind of stuff and have a kid that's going to do a whole lot better in school. So, all right, that's the first one. That's my soapbox again. The next one was, how do I start my dog running blinds, blind retrieves? So for anyone who doesn't know what a blind retrieve is, that's a, a, a normal retrieve when somebody throws something, whether it's you or a thrower, and the dog sees a thing go down out there, a bird, a bumper, whatever, and they run out there and get it and bring it back to you. Okay, that's called a marked retrieve. In other words, they, they saw it go down and then they run out and get it. A blind retrieve is where there is something out there that the dog did not see. And you send them for it. And then with, if they take a straight line to it, yay, if they get a little off, you stop them and then they turn around and look at you and then you cast them in the direction they need to go to go at it until you get them to it and they pick it up and come back. So people that hunt, you know, if, if three ducks went down and, and one of them you know, went out of sight, the dog was already on a retrieve or something, and do, there's a duck laying out there and you want to send your dog to it, uh, right? Then you have a system of things that you do to communicate to this dog. Okay, there is a bird out there and I'm going to point you where it is and I'm going to get you out to it. So when you see dogs that are trained well run blinds, um, it's just pretty. And, and it's so fun to run those guys, you know, because they're real eager about it even though they didn't see it. And you get them lined up straight, they understand what that is. They understand the direction they're facing is important. And you give them, traditionally, it's the back command. That's different from what you send on a marked retrieve. Because when you, convention is you send them on their name. You can send them on whatever you want. But you, when you send them on a marked retrieve and you say, you know, Fang, Fang knows he has to go find it. He saw it go out there to the area and look for it. When you send them on a blind retrieve, you cue them if you do with dead or whatever. And But when you send them, you send them on back. And that means go, go straight. And just keep going until I stop you or and cast you or until you come on to it. So those things are different. Because you don't differentiate necessarily between just go out there and then I'll handle you if I have to. It's it's very, to to have those really nice blind running dogs, when you tell them, all right, bud, you didn't see it, you know, dead bird, and then the, the back, 
All right, now you're going to take a straight line. And there's a whole training program that goes into that. A whole program built off of the force fetch. So I know that there's, unless you've been around some very accomplished trainers, or unless you've actually seen that, you might not understand what I'm saying. Because there's a whole program where you teach the dog, you condition them to, to do this retrieving stuff because you said so. Not because they're having a good time. And it starts with the force fetch with a bumper and then a force fetch with a pile of bumpers and then two piles, one on one side, one on the other. And you begin to teach them directionality. There's a whole thing. I'm not, I, that's a, Mike Lardy has a, a whole, you know, video series out on that stuff. There's a whole series of things which must be done thoroughly and with great detail and, and stress on what the dog is thinking. What a lot of people do when they start this blind stuff is they just start running blinds. So you walk out there with your dog and you let them see you throw a bumper or two down and then you walk 50 yards back or whatever your magic distance is and then you send them, right? And then they, you get them out of the habit of going somewhere where they know there's a bumper. And so you kind of get them running out there when it, and, and then people sort of backdoor into blind running that way. So what is generally being taught when you do that is, all right, I'm going to let you know it's out there and it's usually don't bat this far. And then you run out there and get it. And then you try to teach them the sit whistle, right? You try to teach them that so that if they're going wrong or something or you just want to practice handling, then you blow the sit whistle. And so you teach it. Usually what happens when people teach it and you have to enforce it generally with electricity, but maybe you just don't. You just sort of nag them into it. So then they learn to sit by you. So when you blow the sit whistle and they're out there kind of generally meandering out looking for something, they might come running back to you and sit by you. And then you're mad. Well, that's what they learned. Yeah, I sit next to you. So to sit while on a dead run takes a dog that's on a dead run. So you can't really, it by my definition of running a blind, teach blinds by running blinds. If you look at the good programs that are out there, you have the, however, whatever method you use to force fetch, there is some level of pressure with that. For me, it starts with the ear pinch. Right? So they can make the ear pinch never happen by responding and reaching for a bumper. And then finally you get them to responding and reaching a bumper on the ground as many times as you want. Then you put, and I'm just going to briefly go through this, then there's a pile of bumpers right there. And they repetitively go to the pile, pick one up and come back. We're talking 18 inches away from you, two feet. You don't go for distance. You go for response. So they will go to this bumper pile on the right, pick it up, come back and sit in front of you, take it, throw it, throw it behind you, tell them to fetch the next one until they will repetitively. Because a lot of times you get them to get one and they're going, that's good. I already got one. I'm not going to get any more. You have to get past that. <clears throat> you have to get where they'll pick up multiple ones. And if you're right-handed and the dog's in front of you, then this is probably over to the right. Now let's have the pile over to the left, two feet. Not any distance. Now get them where they'll go over to the left. At the first, when you first do that, they're going, no, 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 I don't go that way. I always go the other way. So you have to teach that. Then you have the two piles. Piles. So you can cast them to the right. They're facing you. Cast them to the left. 
It's hard for them to face you. This is where the facing you begins. But you begin in close. And then you can start to move the piles a little bit further. But you have to have some way to enforce the response. So it starts with an ear pinch or whatever you do. There's a whole school of thought where people then have the little stick where you pop them on the bottom when they go for it. That's the pressure. Because now we're, we're moving away from your hand being directly in contact with their body to a little bit more remote ways of enforcing it. And then eventually you go to uh, a little bit of collar pressure because the dog isn't right with you and you can still enforce. So we need, we're developing the response in these dogs where when you say fetch, left or right, or pretty soon you move that pile behind them and then they turn to the left or turn to the right, they feel like they have to go. If you're just having them do it because, yeah, they really like to go, that in the end is not going to carry you because you have no means when they say, mm, I'm not, I don't think so, I'm not going to do it this time, you have nothing to fall back on. If they always go a lot because they just like to go a lot, <laughs> that's nice. Believe it or not, you still have to force those dogs because if you don't, then when they go, nah, I don't, or they start popping or they just don't, they go part way and come back. What are you going to do? You have nothing to do. Where if you do have that enforcement thing going, now you have something to do and you slowly move the pile back and don't worry as everyone's all into the over piles. You have to teach the directionality. But running blinds, you shouldn't have a whole lot of overs except close toward the end. So you really want them to just, you want a lot of that backward momentum. And then you can refine that a little bit. Then when you have an ability to require that they go, you start moving that back pile further away. And you do get your overs in there, the double T, single T, whatever you do. All of that, that takes a couple months. I don't care who you are. That takes a couple months. You can't go a few weeks and get your dog running blinds. And when I say running blinds, it's where you walk up to a place the dog has never been. They don't know. They saw nothing. There was no gun. And you line them up, you know, at a straight north. And there's there's shrubbery and stuff. There's stuff in front of you. They got to And you, put, you tell them dead bird or whatever you cue. And you put your hand down in the direction they need to go and say back. And they shoot out of there. Confident, knowing there's something out there, believing you pointed them at it. And then when you blow your sit whistle, they turn around and sit down and look at you and go, all right, I'll change direction. And then you change their direction slightly, not hugely. Don't let them go wrong at all. There's a whole lot of that stuff. And then you cast them again and they take off again with a lot of belief and conviction that you are getting them to whatever it is they're supposed to retrieve out there all the time, every time. And they do it and they're not, they're not made to run fast. It is their conviction and their confidence on what they're doing that makes them run whatever is fast for them. That's how you get dogs to run blind. You need a good program. You need to follow it and you need to understand that it's going to take some months. And once you get them where they'll go and stop for you, you can't run, you can't run cold blinds. That is blinds like the one I just described they'd never seen. Then there's the whole transition program that you have to go through. That takes a few months. So they learn to trust you and believe you and do this in places other than where you did your T work and your force work. 
There's a lot to it if you do it right. And the detail is important. And every dog that you do it with is different. The fire-breathing dragon, they got all the go in the world. The stop's kind of hard, and they'd rather go than listen. So then you have to make sure that they are taught to listen and respond every time. Just because they run a lot really fast does not mean that's a good thing if they're not very responsive to you. And when you got the kind of slow, pokey, timid guys, you got to let them be that way. That's how they are. They still can learn. You got to go when I say, and you got to stop when I stop. And if you're going to do this in a loping way, I'm okay with that too. But you still have to go and stop. So the blind running thing needs a very good program, needs a real understanding of what the objective of each day's training is, to know when to push ahead and not. So just to wing it by yourself, uh, that's kind of a, that's a difficult thing. Um, get some good help, find some good help, get some coaching, do something. But blind retrieves are best done that way then they'll run blinds forever unless you you know do some weird screwball stuff and mess them up in the middle of it and they 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 love it and when you see dogs run fast it isn't because somebody made them it's because they have a lot of confidence and they love what they're doing so kind of a lengthy how do you start blinds last question i really wanted to get this one on here i won't be too too talky so and uh, just recently i we'd had another dog here that was not pointing for me and so we put the cord on, um, around, hooked it onto their uh, choke chain around their neck and then around their waist and then down between their legs so that you just could control them basically from almost the hip area when they got out on a bird. And we got one dog and he, it kicked in the point and he started pointing. And I put it on the Facebook page so people could see it because I am traditionally not a, collar, a cord person. So I got... Oh, a few snarky comments, but somebody says, are you going to start using the cord now with your dogs? So I think I've learned something in the last several years about this whole cord business. And of course, there's the other way where you put electric collars on their tummies. And I'm going to say I'm not going to do that. I know um, some people that have had it work successfully and I'll send it someone to them <laughs> to do it because I just can't. I just can't do that. But the cord thing, I would say there's a place for it. It is not like now I'm a cord guy because I have had, well, 79 grandmasters done without the cord. So it's not too hard to, for a good pointer, it's not too hard for the point, particularly if you start early, everybody, those little 9, 10, 11, 12-week-old puppies, you start with them and kick that in if, if you can so much easier than not but I've seen a number of dogs and I don't know why I don't know what it is that you don't kick the pointing in with the bird exposure and I've had some that even as young puppies we we put on birds young puppies just just flushing machines flushing 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 machines and then when and then I've seen them those dogs and they put cords on them and they still flushing machines you just they're just holding on to them and I've seen ones that did have the point in them, like, like I showed on that video, where once they were sort of stopped into a point, it's like somehow their connection got made to the light bulb and a little bit of the light came on, a little bit. A little bit of the light. It's like all of a sudden this passivity pointing thing that they'd never felt before, they feel it. 
And if you can keep that going consistently for a little while, you can catch that. And so that's effective. And so on dogs, I've seen it now in the last couple of years, work with dogs out of good pointing breeding that had not pointed at all, litter mates had, and they hadn't, and that worked. So yes, am I willing to try that on those dogs? All the time. Am I going to use the cord for de-chase, for steady, all that stuff? No. No, because most of my dogs, if I put a cord on them, especially they're already, you know, they're kind of doing stuff, they're going, what's up? What is this? What is going on? <laughs> and then I don't have them, right? I don't have them fully invested in this thing. They know that there's a bit of a setup and I'm there. So, and I've never had to ever had to steady a dog. Uh, I don't de-chase with a cord at all. That's unsafe. Um, and I don't, I don't steady it with any of that stuff. But this pointing thing, I'm going to give it to the cord people and I'm going to, on dogs that I can't be effective the way that I normally am, I'm going to go over to that use it to turn the light bulb on for the pointing and when that light bulb has come on then I'm going to go into I'm going to do it until they show pointing on their own without having to be assisted and when they do that then we go into the D chase and the wool breaking and stuff and we have our pointer so there's my answer I, that's the kind of cord stuff uh, that I'm going to do right now so those are my three questions for today and my little G update. Everything's really about basics. What it really comes down to, all the things that I've talked about right here, aren't so much the how-tos, but it's about what is in that dog's head. What is in their head? That's why I don't see how people can help on the internet or on the, you know, the talk forums and stuff like that. My dog is doing X, Y, Z. What should I do? And then everybody comes in and tells them. I, and I've, you know, I've done this a couple years. I don't understand how they could even think they know. Because if I don't see that dog and see what it did, actually, it's doing this because it's resentful as heck. Or it's doing this because it's afraid. Or it's doing this because it doesn't have a clue what it's doing. You can't possibly, there isn't an answer to anything. The answer has to come from, just like it, it with you and me, what is in that dog's head? What is their perspective on this? What are they saying they think they're doing or they are expecting? Or what standard does the dog think is expected here? So all of the training, if you do run blinds, it's not like, all right, just go through this set of steps and you can run blinds. Like I said, some dogs you're going to have to emphasize a lot more of the control and some of the dogs you're going to have to emphasize a lot more of the building the confidence based on what they tell you they think about all this. And the same with the cord. You know, I think it's because it lets something kick in into the brain that you couldn't do any other way. And then once it's kicked in, we don't need that particular thing anymore either. So everybody training your dog, it you know... It, just like if this was you and you were learning things that are difficult or challenging or whatever, it would sure be nice if whoever was teaching you took into account where you were, who you were, how, what you thought about this, what your perspective is, what you needed to get a little bit better. And it's not going to be the same for all of us. So it's the same thing here with these dogs. So that's today's. We got APLA tests are cranking right now, like every other week or something. So I'm going to be tied up in that. I'm going to still try and get back to this as much as I can. I should be able to do this every week. 
And I hope that everybody has a really safe spring, healthy spring. Um, I got both my shots, so I'm feeling a whole lot better. And uh, I hope everyone has a really good run with whatever they're doing. And G and I will be back soon.